Hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, dissect and deliberate over a movie of our choosing. This time we are talking about Gangster Squad. Yeah. Brian, why don't you give me a little bit of your history with this movie? Uh, okay, um, so this is a film by Ruben Fleischer who... Up until this point, had done uh, Zombieland, which I really loved. Uh, I think he'd also done the the other one at this point. Um, Thirty minutes. Thirty minutes or less, which I hadn't seen. Uh, I I I not at this point anyway. I have seen since, and it's an absolute turd. Um, but yeah, up until this point, I was just going off Zombieland. It it was coming out. I saw all the trailers for it, and I really loved the look of the film, the cinematography in it. Uh, it just has that kind of proper nineteen forties gangster style that, that I really love. That almost like an L.A. Confidential kind of vibe, but really mm-hmm. glossy, a glossier version of that. Um, but for whatever reason, I didn't get to the cinema to see it. Uh, and mm. by the time it had been on the cinema for a few weeks, all the reviews had trashed it. Uh, it, was, it was like two-star, one-star reviews in some cases. Uh, yeah, people didn't seem to love it. So my enthusiasm for it kind of dwindled. Um, but uh, anyway... it. Time marched on, it came out on DVD, I picked it up cheap in a charity shop, watched it, and I was like, I loved this film. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get the hate. I, it was Seriously, it was one of them moments where from start to finish, I had a blast. Um, and so whenever people say, name some underrated movies, this tends to get pulled out of the bag for me. Um, I'm not saying it's classic. I'm not saying it's up there with LA Confidential or films like that, but just the level of hatred it got, I really don't understand. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's my history. I've, I've, I, the time that I watched it for this podcast is the third time that I've watched it, and we'll see whether or not my opinion holds true to form based on that. Much like yourself, I had um, I had seen Zombieland, and I had seen... 30 minutes or less before going to see Gangster Squad. I loved Zombieland. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, so much fun and energy in a kind of tired genre. Mm-hmm. Um, 30 minutes or less was dead on arrival for me. It just I, I made it to the cinema to see that as well, mm-hmm. um, which was a really big disappointment. Cause it, just, it just wasn't funny. No. Um, it, it just didn't work. Nothing worked, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame. It was hard to believe yeah. it was from the same... Filmmaker as Zombieland, it really was. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt kind of ramshackled, threw together quickly, and just just one of those things that just didn't come together. Yeah, Gangster Squad, I was really eager to check out. Um, I, I like these kind of movies. I, I like the I like the thirties gangster pictures as well. So this bit was like something I hadn't seen in a little while. So I was curious about checking it out, and yeah, I remember going to the cinema myself one afternoon. Um, I'd missed out lunch, just dropped into McDonald's, picked myself up something, took it into the cinema. I was that guy. Um, and I was the only person there. So, you know, I remember coming out of the movie and, and people just saying to me, like, you know, how was, how was Gangster Squad? And I was just like, oh, wow, 
amazing. I got you know two of the best double cheeseburgers <laughs> um, I've ever had. They just hit the spot. They were fantastic. Um, it's a long-lasting memory. <laughs> and to be honest, I never thought about the movie again until um, you pulled the rug from under my feet last episode. So, yeah. Do you have a set, quick synopsis? Set you up with that Untouchables draw and then knocked yeah, you down yeah. with Gangster Squad. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, yeah, synopsis. Uh, that cribbed from Letterboxd. Okay. Los Angeles, 1949. Ruthless, Brooklyn-born mob king Mickey Cohen runs the show in this town reaping the ill-gotten gains from the drugs, the guns, the prostitutes, and, if he has his way, every wire bet placed west of Chicago. And he does it all with the protection of not only his own paid goons, but also the police and the politicians who are under his control. It's enough to intimidate even the bravest street-hardened cop. Except, perhaps, for the small secret crew of LAPD outsiders led by Sergeant John O'Mara and Jerry Wooters, who come together to try to tear Cohen's world apart. This small group of men are known simply as the Gangster Squad. Here we have it. And here, I suppose, it's only fair that we start with a somewhat positive. Um, and I think for me it's the, the look of the movie mm-hmm. I think it is rather nice it, it has that studio set kind of feel to it mm-hmm. I feel you know that kind of yeah. uncanny valley it doesn't look like real locations but it doesn't look completely fake locations mm-hmm. either it looks kind of studio makeup but it's very very well done it's, I really like the, it's in keeping with the set the setting of LA in which everything is fake mm-hmm. everything is you know it's, this is the, the land of Hollywood um, and it does kind of harken back to an old, an older time, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I love the the production design and the cinematography, the way it's lit, the costumes. Uh, if, if if you like nothing else about this film, I'm sure most people would agree it at least has that going for it. So so why don't you um, tell us some more things that you like about it? Right. First and foremost, I will say this: um, there is nothing original about this film. Uh, it's a complete rehash of The Untouchables. Um, I wouldn't say that it was a better film than The Untouchables, uh, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's a bit like the gangster film equivalent of a Jason Statham movie, in the sense that with a Jason Statham movie like Transporter, Crank, something like that, you know exactly what you're going to get. Um, and, and this kind of, it, that's what it does. It's almost like an amalgamation of loads of other different films that, yes, are probably better, but I, I like it. I like, the, I, I like that kind of greatest hits version of, of the gangster movie. Um, I do like all the performances here. Uh, I, you know, I, I like all the actors. I'm a big fan of Ryan Gosling. I like Josh Brolin here playing the hard man. Um, I do think the characters are well drawn out, if somewhat, um, yeah, seen it all before kind of characters. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I did some research 
on this mm -hmm. afterwards. And by research, I mean I watched the special features on the DVD. <laughs> well, the, it was the, the Blu-ray. It was the Blu-ray. But this, this is the thing, right? This is the thing. <clears throat> there is a documentary on the Blu-ray mm -hmm. that is... Um, so it wasn't made for the film. It wasn't made for this release. It's right. it's like it's one of those American TV shows where they mm -hmm. where they you know each episode they'll look at a famous gangster, and this was the yeah. episode that they did on Mickey, on Mickey Cohen. Um, is it Mickey Cohen? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, on Mickey Cohen, um, and it's really the wrong special feature to put on this Blu-ray because it essentially says or shows reveals flat out that all of this film is entire bollocks. It's complete bollocks. For, it's, do not come to this film for a history lesson, okay? So whoever wrote this film, they, you know, they, they obviously watched Untouchables, really liked it, and thought, I want to do that again, uh, but basically update it, you know, essentially a remake, but without calling it a remake. Um, what other gangster, famous gangster have we got from history? that we can do that on. Uh, we can't do Dillinger because Michael Mann's just done him with Public Enemies. Mickey Cohen, boom. And then this guy's clearly looked into Mickey Cohen and thought, oh, crap, well, that doesn't add up because this he wasn't this guy at all. Never mind, we'll do a fantastical version of Mickey Cohen. It, 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 can, it can look like Al Capone. People will never know. And that's essentially what they've done. So they've, they've basically caponed the heck out of this guy. Um, so the real Mickey Cohen apparently was very much loved in the community. Um, like a lot of people kind of saw him as a bit of a Robin Hood kind of figure. He, you know, he, he did, if you, know, if, if you, if you were on, if, if you were a knob basically, and if you were caught up in the gang world, then, then you probably had something to fear. But if you were some old granny who was like, you know, short on a rent, uh, this is the guy who would go round. Who you know, he had no no ties to you whatsoever, but he would still send his his goons around to the landlord and say, "Look, you're going to let this this woman off for a, for a, for a month or so." You know, so like, there's a load of stories like that about him doing these things, these kind of mm -hmm. good Samaritan things. He, clearly, he was a dodgy guy. He was you know evading tax, things like that, and he was he was caught up in crimes. Um, I believe the whole prostitution thing wasn't real either he he stayed away from anything that had out to do with women and kids uh from what i gather um so so yeah anyway i, I won't go into the whole ins and outs of that but suffice to say this film ain't a history lesson so i, I don't even I, I can't even use that to back it up to say well you know you can't just say it's a copy of untouchables because this stuff happened well it didn't so i can't defend the film on those grounds all I can say is, as something that apes the untouchables in every single way, I just enjoy it. I like the performances. I like the characters. I like the, uh, the action sequences. Some of the fist fights in this are really great, uh, particularly the final one between Cohen and, and Brolin's character. It's one of those fights that ha where the punches, you kind of feel them. Um, I, I like the way that Fleischer shoots that stuff. Um, and and I, I do. I'm a sucker for having a big showdown between the mm. 
the hero and the arch nemesis at the end. I always like a good one-on-one. -on -one. It's completely implausible that this would happen, mm -hmm. you know, that, that it would get to this stage where it's just left to the two of them and they decide to have a, you know, let, let's just duke it out. Um, yeah. But I don't care. I like that. I like that stuff. I'm a sucker for it. Um, so, so yeah, like, like I've said before, I, I, I'm not under any impression that this film should be regarded as a great classic. But to say that it's like one star, two star at best, I, I think it's seriously unfair. I, like, it's, it's at least competently made, you know what I mean? It's like, even if you've seen it all before, even if it's cribbing from other films, just from a purely technical level, it's still competently made. So it at least would deserve a three-star rating, I think. Um, but uh, I've been talking long enough, so yeah. let you trash the film now. Uh, go, go for it. I, I, think, I think having a film that's competently made does not guarantee a certain star level. Um, straight off the bat, I, I think you know there, there's plenty of movies I've seen that's competently made. Well, yeah, I, yeah, but, I agree. I agree. But they're just crap. Uh, you know, uh, taking I've got a couple of points where I, I disagree with what you said. Um, the cast, I think, I think the cast is a great cast to have, and any other movie would be fantastic. But I do think, personally, that Ryan Gosling is miscast here, uh, and I'm a big fan of him. I, I see him more as the kind of stoic, silent character. Um, from most of his, his better roles, that's what he is. And here's a kind of fast-talking uh, party guy at the start. I, I don't really feel that he quite embodies that role. Don't ask me who else could play it, but I don't really see him as that character. And it always feels a little bit odd uh, to me. Mm. Um, I feel his better performances are in like Drive or Blade Runner, those kind of ones where he's you know, not as, as vernacular uh, as he is here. Going to the story, now, I wouldn't say that this movie's awful. I just say that it is extremely derivative of The Untouchables, like you said, and I'm a huge fan of The Untouchables. I think it's pretty much, you know, perfect kind of movie of its genre. And every time I watch this, I, I go, and this is the same time, and I'm going, why am I watching The Untouchables? It's better on every level. Why? Why am I slumming down with this rather than going for the grade A? stuff you know why why am i not having a steak why am i having that mcdonald's burger yeah but you, know? you still go for that mcdonald's burger from time to time that's time the to time and every and, time i do it i feel awful yeah i know but you still go for it that's the thing you never learn look we all we all like fast food from time to time we don't always desire that steak um i mm. I, I get it you know this uh, fr from a the, the way it's made it's it's not as good as the untouchables but I'm not someone who really holds The Untouchables in such high regard. I'd probably still give it like a four-star rating. I, I do think it's a very good example of the genre. Um, but even The Untouchables cribs from, you know, like Battleship Potemkin and, and things like that. Brian De Palma is no stranger to the whole... Uh, ripping off other movies. Um, yeah, but, but he rips it off and makes it his own. To a degree, yeah, yeah. but there's, there's no yeah, doubt. Those there's, 30 no, stairs, there's no doubt. Those in 30 where, stairs last for, for <laughs> 20 minutes. You know? but there's, there's, there's no doubting where it came from, though, that's the thing. Um, yeah. Just as there's no doubt where not, this it, came from. So. Yeah, but that's, that's one scene, not a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's fair enough to go, like, oh, he borrowed that one scene, but you know, this guy borrows the whole movie. And 
the characters themselves, I don't feel that the characters are really developed or fleshed out. They are archetypes. They are this one thing and they don't really change from that. I kind of disagree yeah. with the Ryan Gosling thing. Like, there's a few subtle mm-hmm. things in there, like at the beginning. Um, there's, a, there's a little exchange uh, between Brolin's character and him where Brolin essentially, I, I can't remember what the line is, but he, he, he asks him... How, how he sleeps at night or some, something like that, something along those lines, and he's, like, just fine or whatever. And literally, the, the very moment he says that, he pulls a bottle of whiskey out from his jacket and swigs it down. And it's a great little moment because it's like, actually, he's, he's lying. You know, he, he doesn't sleep fine. Or if he does sleep fine, it's because he's turned to drink. And it's like, it, it is this kind of struggle with inside him that isn't hammered over your head it's just it's shown it's revealed in little moments like that where just in the in the slightest touch during a conversation you realize actually yeah. this guy's got personal demons and you say he's a fast talker and that lot but uh I, I think he he probably was but i think that the style in which that uh, gosling plays it really works well for that character, for someone who has, essentially, his soul has been deadened to, to his work, to the stuff that's going on around him, because he has towed the line with Mickey Cohen's gang for so long, like all the other police. And it's only, it's only this, this moment with this kid, the, the shoe polisher, which kind of snaps him out of that, which wakes him yeah, up. Yeah. This is, this is probably the most egregious thing in the movie for me, the shoe polisher kid that comes literally out of nowhere and you can you can feel yourself going like, oh gosh, not this, please. Hey, Jamie, why don't you do my shoes for me? Oh, is everything still okay with the family? Blah, blah, blah. And then he sees gunmen coming and it's like, you go home now, you run home, lassie, go. Yeah, they, they had a scene before that, though. They introduced yeah, him before that. But it's so, like, there, it's so... It, as much as this movie feels, it feels manufactured and it doesn't feel as if there's any weight to the relationship. I, I'm not interested in, in, in the gunshots. And why does he not tell the boy to go and hide, put him down, take care of him, but no, just, just walk away into where the firing line is, just, just over there a bit more. I need some, I need some justice. <laughs> it's just, and then he snaps and goes in to shoot Cohen and I'm just like, this is this is this is almost parody. <laughs> okay, let's let's get into something else. So, something else that I really like about the film is the character of the wife, Brolin's mm. wife. I like the fact that um, she isn't just a trophy wife. You know, someone who who kind of mopes over the fact that he's getting into danger. Although she does do a fair share of that, but she's actually instrumental in picking his team. So, you know, she, she comes to terms with the fact of who he is as a man and she works with that. And she, you know, if, if he's going to go out there, she's going to pick his team for him. And I like, the, I like the scene, um, like a bit of a montage thing where she's picking the team for him and then we see him meeting them. Um, but yeah, I like that essentially she's the brains of the outfit and they are a team as a married couple um, and, the, and that crew that he has are there because she's the one who's chosen them. So, yeah. Yeah. See, that was one of the things that I didn't really latch onto in the movie as well because 
it feels a bit like M and James Bond, you know, like he's this blunt instrument who can't think for himself. So I he just, needs I just, his wife to do this. I just don't see that. I just don't see that. I see it as a partnership. They're a loving husband and wife. They respect each other. He respects her enough to, to value her opinion. And her opinion is pretty impressive because when you hear her uh, reasoning as to why she, he should pick the men that she's picked for him, it's sound reasoning. Like, like the, when she pulls out all the files of the guys who were the best in the class and were the obvious choices, and she, she reasons that actually these are the first guys on the block that Cohen is going to try and pay off, so stay clear of them. Um, I like that. I like that we see her... Yeah, I, I, just, I, just, I didn't get what you got from that at all. I, I liked it. I like her character. I like what they do with her. I like that she's not just someone to be a victim and then brushed aside. Um, she's, she's instrumental. Yeah, but, but she, she pretty much tells him what to do. He can't think for himself on that front. He, he gets made out to be um, nothing more than a blunt instrument that, that can't really think. I disagree with that because he shows, he shows brains within when they're out on the missions. Like, you know... He, Hello? Hi. So did you say something then? You kind of, you kind of broke uh, up. Look, look when, when, does he, when does he show his brains? <sighs> well, all right. For, like, at the start, um, I like that uh, he, he uh, chooses to go in and take out those mob guys who are going to basically screw over that woman. Uh, I like that he... You know, he's, he's going in of his own reconnaissance, uh, recognizance. Uh, it makes the decision himself. Um, but wouldn't it have been smarter to stop him before they get into that layer, before they get into the hotel? Stop it. No, because they were, sta- they were staking out that hotel. Yeah, but as soon as they know, no, they, were, they, they were following them from the train station or the airport or wherever, he picked the girl up. Yeah, but you, you, can't, you can't stop someone for, for picking up. A woman. But then when they get to the hotel, they realise it's Cohen's and they shouldn't go in there, so there isn't a, a reason to stop it right there because he's a nefarious character. Yeah, and the other cop says, no chance. Mm, this, I'm not going in there. Yeah, so this, stop yeah, this, this is in. Cohen's business, so I ain't doing it. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't see your point, to be honest. It's like... There's, it's, there's moments before he gets to that hotel where he can stop it. He's using the, the girl as a, almost entrapment to find out where he's going. And when he gets to where he goes, it's, it's somewhere that most cops don't want to go into. So he could stop it before they go into that building. And he has and he'd have to, nothing. To what would he have? He'd have nothing. Well, he says he only wants to save the girl. Yeah. And the guy's got off with it anyway. He saves the girl, the but he girl. also busts Cohen's ring. If he just, if he just got out of the car, broke up the, the girl from those guys, he'd have nothing. And they'd be free to do it again. But this way, he stops them getting this girl, and he stops them getting any girl in the future. Whereas if he'd have got out of the car, if he'd got out of the car and stopped them, all he'd have been able to do is tell the girl to walk on by. So because I feel like from this story, all that happens is, is they shut down this one building. They're going to open up another one, get more girls, and get insurance money from this building, and nobody gets um, any jail time whatsoever because they've been instantly released. I think Co- so, Cohen's lost a ton of money through having to destroy his own property. Not to mention the insurance. guys. He says something about the insurance money. He's going to make it back on that. Uh, well, still. I just, uh, I just don't think he's a. 
he's just a, a blunt tool. He, he just achieves nothing though by getting out the car and, st- and and stopping them taking her in. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Well, he saves the girl anyway. He goes in and saves her. So what's your point? <laughs> well, he could maybe uh, stick this out with other police forces, find out where other buildings were, where they were ch- channeling the girls from, taking down the whole thing at once. Um, but he's bullheaded enough to just rush in and just stop this one small problem rather than looking at the bigger picture and taking that out. And the thing is, even if that's the case, which you're probably right, he is a blunt instrument. He says that himself. He talks about the fact that he's, he's, a, he's a war dog. He's, he's kind of driven for battle. That's, that's his main purpose. Um, the fact that he has this wife who is his brains only strengthens that partnership. It only, it only adds value to that partnership to be honest. Um, so it doesn't make me li- like the ca- the wife character any less. I think having her be the brains of the outfit and him be the brawn just makes them a, a perfect team. And it's actually when when they're not working together that, that they, I guess, wouldn't thrive as well. So so e- either way you cut it, like the this conversation kind of started with me pointing out that I like that wife character. Mm. She's... You know, yeah, okay, she's the brains of the outfit. He's not. That, do, that doesn't lessen the impact of her character any. It just strengthens it, and it makes me like that dynamic all the more. So Yeah, the mastermind housewife. Yeah. Who we know nothing about other than she's, I don't know, what, mentalist, instantly knows people. We get a sense of her character. We get, we get to know who she is through her interactions with him. Now you're just really being picky. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, and, and to be honest I, I'm getting hung up on one thing when there's so many to be picky about mm. uh, realistically a lot of the but, but, but this is, but this is the mentality though that, that I'm talking about which is where and it happened with Batman v Superman it's where people don't like the film quite as much so then they go to bat on it like big time and they start really picking apart things that, you, that are actually a positive but because they're so blinkered on the fact that they don't like the film they then start taking the positive stuff and trying to figure out ways to turn it into a negative. Um, and that, and, that, and that, that feels to me the le- like the level of hatred that this film got. And I'll say it again, yeah. this ain't Citizen Kane, I accept that. But to say that it's mm. so bad that it deserves a one or two star rating, I just, that, that boggles my mind. But the, the Batman v Superman analogy, you know, people came round on Batman v Superman. People are starting to see it for what it is and, and recognise that it's not a bad movie well, nobody's coming back round to go look no, I, I, think, I think there's quite a lot of people saying that yeah, well, Batman, v Batman v Superman has the added bonus of being tied to two very culturally significant characters three if you throw Wonder Woman in there so people are always going to go back and revisit that film regardless of whether they thought it was good or bad um, whereas Gangster Squad doesn't really have that kind of culture, pop cultural kind of I must go back and give it a second chance thing anyway. But uh, neither here nor there. We're, get, we're getting into conversations that really don't kind <laughs> of have any bearing on the actual film. It's just, I just find that, okay, if you don't like it, fair enough. But when it gets to the point where, you, where you're trying to find stuff to tear apart just for the sake of it, it, it just, it's hate for, 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 for the sake of hatred. But I think it's, it's you don't even have to pinpoint certain things. Just in broad strokes, you can find things that are, you know, derivative of other things. Like the whole plot, you know, the the the, the language that's used in the movie is all very um, stylized and, and, and say, typical of that kind of 
uh, characterised time, you know, not of the time, but it feels done to, uh, as the way somebody thinks somebody would talk back then, rather than the way the actual language would be. It feels very written. There's things I can pick up on it, but there is things that I do like in the movie. There is certain things that I do find exciting. Um, like what? I, I like the car chase mm. when they, they're chasing the heroine uh, as it comes off the uh, the plane. Yeah. Although the, there is one point where I'm not a fan of the, the floating camera that comes behind and around the car because it feels very digital. But everything that is in the car chasing the other car, I think that's pretty exciting. I like Robert Patrick's character, but that's yeah. more just because it's a, not because it's a, a really like fleshed out deep character, just because it's a cool character, you know, a product of the old west is yeah. still, yeah. you know, running about at this time. Yeah. That's more than capable with a gun than most of these other guys. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like the, the surrogate relationship between him and his partner, mm. you know, a kind of father-son, a mentor, mentee yeah. thing. You know, the, the movie has um, it, it has definite pluses, but I don't I don't see it being anything more than just surface entertainment. You know, which is it's fine for some people. Mm. Um, like I said, for me, I, I, I wish I was watching The Untouchables when I was watching this. I just, I think I find this an easier watch than The Untouchables, um, and you know, th- like you just said about the surface entertainment thing. Mm. It, that's what I come to this for. Um, so I, I see. I think your problem is that because The Untouchables is such a special film for you, anything that is kind of derivative of that is gonna it's gonna fall harder. I think um, it'd be like like for me, The Truman Show is you know it's in my top hey, TV. <laughs> that that's it. I've not watched Ed TV. I've not seen it. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, I I would imagine when I watch Ed TV, I would, you know, despite being a fan of Ron Howard, I would probably say ah, it's a bit true Michelle Light, isn't it? But it's just I just think that yeah, that's what I would be like with any film that kind of took that Truman Show concept. There's no way it's going to come close to me, especially if it modelled it so closely as Gangster Squad does to The Untouchables. But for me, you know, the, the Untouchables is shorter, it's snappier, it for me it breezes along faster. I'm not saying it's better, I'm just saying it's, it's easier to watch. If you, if you don't want to sit there and become too emotionally involved and too, you know, have to get the grey matter, engage with it as much, again, I, I, I'll say it's like the Jason Statham kind of effect with, only with gangster movies. I can throw it in at any time, sit back, watch it, enjoy it, and that's all I want from it. Um, so I always come to it on that level, and that's why I like it. <coughs> it, it ticks those boxes. <coughs> so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind so of my wrap-up, I guess. But I'm just going to say wrap-ups. Mm-hmm. You want to give it a score? Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. Uh, I, I find it very entertaining. I love the style of it. I do like the performances, and I do like some of the characters. I think that some of the characters are more caricatures. I've not mentioned Sean Penn. I do actually think Sean Penn is the weakest thing in this film. Um, even more so after learning of the real life Mickey Cohen. Uh, like, just this, this guy is like so over the top. 
Uh, and he even has a little Scarface moment towards the end when he comes out with the big gun and he says that line, you know, like, here's Santa Claus. And it's just like you can feel like that's, that's Penn trying to give his best um, Scarface kind of moment. Uh, I think, yeah. I, he kind of does quite a few movie quotes from various films throughout the, mm. the film. Um, and I feel like, just though we're quickly on his, this character, it's, it's one-dimensional. They don't flesh him out at all. He's just a thug from the start to the end. We don't I, see him having. I, yeah, I don't quite agree with that. I do think that um, I do think that Penn oversells it, but I do think if this if this performance had been brought down a bit, um, then then we might engage with those moments more. I do think there is, there's quite a few moments in there where you you see where he's come from. He's obviously a very a much lower class kind of person who's had to fight his way to the top. Uh, literally, in some cases, as a boxer, you know, he's trying to fit in with a crowd that, quite frankly, he's got no business fitting in with. He wants to be part of the Hollywood elite. The, you know, he's he's very much uh, he, he works the photographers and all that lot. He works the paparazzi. Yeah, but threatens one with death. And that, yeah, but he's he's still trying to work. He still he still wants to be something he's not. And again, threatening one with death only highlights the fact that underneath this facade. He can't escape the fact that he's gutter trash, um, and there's that you know there's that moment when Emma Stone's character is you know teaching him about which fork he should use. Then towards the end, he just has the one fork, and he's like, "I like using one fork. You never make any mistakes when you got one fork." And it is that idea that actually he can't escape who he is. Uh, trying to pretend to be something of a higher class ain't going to work. He's always going to be from the gutters. He's always going to be from the streets. So there is character stuff there. Um, it's just for m- for my money personally, I do think that Fleischer needed to rein Penn in a bit, bring him down, make him less over the top. Um, for me, he is the weakest link, but not because of the way he's written; it's the way he's performed. So yeah, but uh, that was my wrap up. Three out of three and a half out of five for me. Right, um, for me, I feel the movie as almost like join the dots of a gangster movie. You know, it has all the beats you'd expect and there's no real surprises there. Um, I think the only surprise for me is that not more of the guys died, if anything, mm. getting to the end of the heroes. Um, but I could kind of watch some scenes and enjoy it. Other scenes would just kind of grate me a little bit. Um, the movie looks great. Um, but this, this watch was much the same as the first watch for me, um, which was a two out of five. There we have it. Okay, moving swiftly along um, to another top five, which I am dreading getting into, Brian. What is our top five? So, our top five this time around is uh, top five Sean Penn movies. Uh, Now, I I left it up to you to decide whether or not you wanted to go performances or movies. I've personally gone for for movies. So, if, if I had to rank the movies that he'd been in, that's that's what I've gone for. Um, I I have kind of gone off performances as well because, the, the, well, I'll just say there's one movie in particular. Uh, I'll just say outright what it is. It's the Thin Red Line, um, which mm. I personally think is one of the best war movies ever made. Um, but when I was looking at my list, I had nine movies altogether that were vying for my top five. Thin Red Line was obviously one of them. But this was the only film on the list of nine where I was like, 
I remember it being a great film. I, I, I know that for a fact because of the way it's directed, you know, the way it's shot uh, and all this, that and the other. But I honestly could not remember what Sean Penn did in it. I, I, I can see him. I can see his character. And I can remember one scene between him and another character across the table. But I don't remember him being in it enough to, to, to warrant me putting it on my top five list. And that could very well be that he wasn't in it a, a right lot because Terence Malick does have this habit of shooting, yeah. you know, there were, there were actors who were cast in that film who got top billing at, at one point on posters and stuff and then they weren't even in the film. Um, so, yeah, there's, there is that. So I, I left Thin Red Line out. It would actually make my top five if we were purely going off movies. But as this is specifically a top five Sean Penn, I didn't feel comfortable enough putting it on because I honestly can't remember him being in it. So, okay. <clears throat> um, why, why don't I go first? Go and, and before I go first, I, I looking through Sean Penn's filmography, I have seen um, a lot of, of his poorer performances, I think, movies, <laughs> and a lot of his uh, performances where he's been lauded, I have missed. So I found it really hard to put up a list together because I was like, I'm not putting that on it. I am not putting that on the list. There's no way. And which has ended up with my number five movie, which I can barely remember. But I know that I really like this movie. And my number five is The Thin Red Line, mm. which I haven't seen for about 20 yeah. years. But I remember it um, really affecting me for the time after I saw it. Again, I, I know Penn is in it. I, I know he's... First sergeant or something like that, or some kind of role, and I just remember the movie being like something that just crept under my skin and stuck with me. But again, I do remember the rest of the performances on my list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. one's just as I say. No, yeah. Thin Red Line is a great film. It's one of the best mm. war films ever made. It would make my top yeah. ten war films ever made. It's yeah. It's just what did Penn do in it? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, my number five, then, is The Assassination of Richard Nixon. Um, so this is based on a true story about a guy who basically just flipped out and went on, tried to get on a plane and shoot the plane up. He was, he was, his intention was to attack it. It was to hijack it and use it to... Um, I, I, think, I think he was going to try and crash into the White House or something like that, but... Um, yeah, he, he fails miserably because at the end of the day, he, he was a sad, pathetic man who basically just lost the plot, um, couldn't handle life and decided to go out in a blaze of glory. Um, it, it's a good character study. I think Sean Penn's performance in it is really great. Naomi Watts gives some real good support as well. It's brilliantly directed. It, there was another film out around the same time just just before it actually that had a very similar setup and a very similar ending honestly can't remember what that film is now but uh i do remember that watching richard nixon at that time kind of made me i didn't appreciate it as much on first viewing because i was like ah oh, that's just so much like that other film but then doing the the you know, background research on it, looking into the story, seeing that actually it's, it is based on fact and this, that and the other. 
it did make me appreciate it more. When I went back and watched it, I was able to just come at it on its own terms. And mm -hmm. I, and on that viewing, I did think that Sean Penn's performance was quite outstanding. Uh, really good stuff. So yeah. Great. Um, my number four is the game. David Fincher's movie. Um, I, I love the game. I think it's just a terrific movie, and it is primarily a Michael Douglas vehicle. Mm. But Sean Penn is there in a very, a very small role, mm. but it's a pivotal one. He's, yeah. he's there. Um, I think it's three points throughout the movie. He, he, he meets him to instigate the whole process, and he's very calm and relaxed, and he's pulled his life together because you get this through the conversation. Um, and the next time you see him, he is terrified beyond belief at, at what's happening. So you get a complete different character and then at the end you get the impetus for a Michael Douglas character to get that yeah. needed push that he needs yeah. um, and it's just it's, you know, it's the same character in three completely different headspaces and very short scenes and they are just sold remarkably well mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the game's probably one of um, oh, you can't say David Fincher's got underrated movies but the game's another one of that great one that he did Okay, uh, so my number four is Carlito's Way. So mm -hmm. this, this is another Brian De Palma film. Uh, obviously, the guy who did Untouchables. Um, I actually prefer Carlito's Way to The Untouchables. Uh, that could have a lot to do with the fact that I'm a big Al Pacino fan. Uh, I, I do like this as a gangster movie. Uh, I think it's, it kind of holds its own, really, with... Scarface, uh, I, I probably do prefer Scarface overall, to be honest, but yeah, um, Sean Penn plays this kind of snivelling wretch of a lawyer in it uh, with this wacky kind of Art Garfunkel hairdo, uh, yeah. I just, I always remember that, but yeah, I, I remember his character in it, I remember just how leechy he is, um, and where the story goes with it, with betrayal and things like that. And, yeah, it's, it's just really great gangster movie. Uh, if you have seen Scarface and The Untouchables, both Brian De Palma films, and you've not seen this, do check it out. Because I think, yeah, the three of those t together are, are a pretty good triple bill. Yeah. Uh, my number three is uh, Spicoli in Fast Times at Regiment High. Um, <laughs> Which I think the performance is is elevated because of he never plays anything like that ever again. <laughs> you know? um, and when you look at some of his other performances and then you get back to that, you realise how good a stoner a surfer it is because he doesn't come across like that in any interviews mm. or anywhere else. And yeah. he, he gives this dumb idiot a sense of heart. Um, almost in these conversations with Mr Hand are just some of the best things in the movie is you, you kind of feel his pain at not being able to go to prom or the, the unknowing realisation of ordering pizzas into class is not the right thing to do but I, I just think it's a fun performance There's a bit of a Bill and Ted vibe about him isn't there? <laughs> yeah but it's more natural than yeah, you know, Bill and Ted yeah. feels a little bit more hyper yeah, 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 this yeah. feels kind of like Definitely. I can understand that kind of movement <laughs> Okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, okay, my number three is Mystic River. Really great Clint Eastwood film. Uh, it's 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 dark. <laughs> it's, it's not an easy watch. It's not so you know you, you don't ever sit there thinking I think I'll just bang Mystic River on, <laughs> boom. 
Uh, it's yeah, you, you've really got to be in the right frame of mind. Uh, but everyone in this film is fantastic. Tim Robbins, Laura Linney is great in this, um, but Sean Penn as well. So Sean Penn plays the husband to Laura Linney's character, and we actually see that you know, like he, he's he's a bit of a bit of a gangster type in this. He's kind of you know head of a essentially a crime family kind of thing um and we and we we see that he's a man to be feared we think that he kind of rules the roost and it's only like as we get to the end of the film towards the end of the film that we realize that actually he he ain't the one who uh who calls the shots it's the laura linney character she's basically mm. the head of of the house which she, which she you know she's she's a great manipulator and he he is part of that he's part of that manipulation so if, if there's something she wants he he ends up doing it um so it's just yeah it's, it's just a really great performance that kind mm -hmm. of dichotomy of those two aspects of the character um and just expertly directed by clint eastwood when he was on his golden streak this was the time yeah. when like he'd i can't remember what order they were in but mystic river gran torino um Million Dollar Baby, and there was another one as well. Uh, there was like four around about the same time, like straight after one another. They just kept on banging them out, and they were just like, "Man, how is a guy this old still putting out films this good consecutively?" Um, for me, that was his golden period as a director, at least. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. Mystic River, number three. Uh, speaking of manipulators, my number two is the sniveling weasel from Carlitos Way. Um, <laughs> This, this guy who will say or do anything to get people to do what he wants, if it means breaking down, blubbering like a baby to, to get that help that he needs, he'll do that. Yeah. If it's pushing somebody in a direction that he wants, he'll do that. If we're looking at the movie, Carlito's Way is a fantastic movie. And I think, like yourself, it's probably one I prefer to Scarface. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm not sure where the movies actually rank up to each other, but I think Scarface was just pushed into everybody's face at a certain period of time. It was just constantly referenced, constantly there. And I think um, Carlito's Way gave us a, 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 a better um, character in that. But I think Sean Penn's a big part to the movie as well, you know, um, just being that complete tool that he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been about 15 years since I've seen Carlito's Way. Um, so it's quite something that I can remember so much about it. I think that, you know, to have seen a film so long ago and yet it's still that fresh in the mind, there's, there's definitely, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, just while we're talking about, uh, we have been talking about the Gangster Squad and the Untouchables, mm. you had uh, Carlito's Way, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Colin Farrell movie, London Boulevard. I have, yeah, I wasn't a fan. It was a complete rip-off of Carlito's Way. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I didn't, to be honest. <laughs> right from the whole opening-ending thing as well. Oh, in the movie. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was crap. Anyway. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Not at all. Um, I, I, I do like Colin Farrell quite a lot, but not even yes, he could I. save that. Okay, so my number two... <clears throat> pardon me. My number two is The Game... Big David Fincher fan. He's one of my top ten directors. I went to see this film on my own 
when I bunked off school. <laughs> right. <laughs> I bunked off school uh, three times in my in my tenure at, at when I was at school. One of those mm-hmm. times was to go and see Twelve Monkeys with a friend. Uh, another time was to go and see the game on my own. When I got into the theatre, there was one kind of chubby guy sat about three rows behind me. I distinctly remember that for some reason. Uh, and, then, and that was it. But I loved it. Absolutely loved oh, 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 oh. it. Your third time, Brian? Um, the third time was just, it was just, I stayed on the school grounds, but I didn't want to go to class. So me and a friend just kind of hung, hung out under the stairs yeah. in one of the blocks. So, yeah. Bit lame, but uh, curiosity to get the better of me. I had to know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I really loved it. Uh, it it's kind of like a modern day retelling of the Scrooge story, um, but yeah, without the ghosts. Instead, the, you get just like a lot of mayhem visited upon this guy instead. Um, Sean Penn, like you said, those three sequences, they're very small, but they're, they're memorable. You remember him as a presence in this movie. And particularly that second sequence when he comes and he's all hysterical, like you said, uh, it's really great performance. I, just, I always remember that scene, um, you know, and I always remember the line where they think I'm an effing piñata and, you know, it's just the way he says it and stuff. But, um, yeah, at this point, I... Didn't really know the name of David Fincher. Mm. Um, Like, I'd seen Seven, loved it. Alien 3, not so much. So I I didn't go into this film as a David Fincher fan. I didn't, you know, I I saw his name come up on the screen and it wasn't like, oh, yeah, David Fincher, he did Seven. I just watched it as a a film on its own merits, no kind of, you know... I didn't bring anything to the table in that regard, and I just loved it. Uh, I, I bought it on DVD. I, I made my parents watch it, because I was like, this, this is an awesome film. you got to see it. Uh, my dad liked it. My mum liked it. So, yeah, um, it, it is. It's one that I do revisit. I do think, like you say, it is an underrated Finch film, um, if there is such a thing, like you say. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think when people do ranking videos, it maybe deserves to be a little bit higher. Uh, I, I think there's there's. Well, I'm not going to say any more than that actually because I'm going to uh, yeah, I'll leave, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it at that. So okay. <laughs> um, my number one uh, Sean Penn performance is Casualties of War. Mm. Um, now I watched this recently uh, again, and I love the character because he he's like a, a very young. I think he's supposed to be 23 in the movie. He's the leader of a platoon, and at the start he loses a friend as Cormand is killed um, by insurgents almost. It's like a small village that, that starts shooting at them after befriending them. And he is just lost. This breaks him, completely and utterly breaks him. And he makes the choice that these people aren't good, he's not good, this whole situation's not good. And if there's no ramifications for anything, he can be as deplorable and as disgusting as he wants because nothing is going to happen. And it's that loss of humanity in the character that, that really comes through with his choice to deliberately set out to, to kidnap a girl from a village and to rape and murder her. There's no, there's no duality within his, his, his moral cognitive ability here, that this is what he is going to do and he's going to force the rest of them to take part in it, whether they want to or not. 
and it's just it's just seeing that character that becomes so morally bankrupt because of the world round about him, because of the situation he's been pushed into. Um, Casualties of War is one of these movies that you never hear anybody talking about, mm. and it's just brilliant. Yeah. It's just really brilliant. Yeah, and it's it's, it's another Brian De Palma film, uh, and uh, I just. I've seen I've seen it once, and I found the experience so harrowing, as you should, um, mm. that I, I've kind of never gone back to it again. But I've all I've always had it in my memory, and 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 it, you know when people ask me to recommend war films, it is one that I do recommend with a warning, of course. You know, it's mm. it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but yeah, I, I remember Penn in that film, and it was a bit of a departure from Michael J. Fox as well. Mm. Um, like I, I turned it on late one night. It was on Channel Four late one night, and I'm like, "What? What's this? Michael J. Fox in a war film? Is this this going to be like Mash or something like that?" And so I, you know, I, I watched it, and and then it just it, it goes off the rails a bit, and then a bit more, and then you're just like, "Man alive." You know, and then you have that rape scene and you're just like... And, and you're so with the Michael J. Fox character and you're so fearful for him as well. Like, because... Yeah, yeah, just... It, it is. It is a great film. Um, it's probably not the kind of film that you're going to repeatedly watch again and again, but uh, but it's, it's definitely worth a watch and it's definitely worth a mention when discussing particularly underrated war movies. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so my number one Sean Penn film, both for performance and just film as a whole, this is one of my top five movies of all time, is Dead Man Walking. I absolutely love this film. Uh, so it's based on a true story, and it's one of the few in which I've actually read the book. Um, and Tim Robbins does an absolutely blinding job uh, adapting the book. He's really faithful to the book uh, in tone and spirit and whatnot. He changes a few things around, um, like the method of of, of, uh, of the death scene. Um, like in, in the film, it's lethal injection. In real life, it was electric chair. Um, so, uh, yeah, like I can understand why he's done that. Um, you can't get... Like the, the the final moments with that character, you can't get the kind of pathos you get if you, if it's suddenly flipping a switch and. But um, yeah, the book is. I would recommend anybody reading the book if you can read the book "Dead Man's Walking" by by the the, the nun Sister Prejean, um, and still support the death penalty afterwards. Then, yeah, all fair play to you. Uh, this film does not make me support the death penalty. The book makes me support it even less. Um, but uh, it is just, it, it is a film about s the, the societal responsibility of rehabilitating and even granting forgiveness to, to those who've done and committed some of the most heinous crimes. And looking at where these people come from, you know, statistically speaking, the vast majority of people who are on death row, and I mean the vast majority of people who are on death row, all come from...
from uneducated backgrounds in slum type areas where they can't afford proper trials um, and this, that and the other. But it, it, it's a very political film. It's a very spiritual film. It's obviously driven by a character who's, who's a nun, you know, so she's coming at it from... It's, it's, she's not getting this guy off, you know. That's not what the film is, is about. It's not that kind of film where at the last minute he gets a stay of execution. It's about her trying to get him to accept responsibility for what he did before he goes to meet his maker. She's trying to get him to ask for forgiveness and accept that he was guilty for what he did. Instead of making excuses, instead of shouting hatred to, with his dying breath, but to actually know that he has someone in her who is a face of love, despite everything else. And, that, and, it's, just, and it's so touching, it's so gripping it's it's just a drama you know there's no big action set pieces in it it's all conversations with people it's not one-sided we get to see that you know the, the different families uh, and again this was a thing in the book uh, where where one of the families of the of, of his victim um of his victims kind of came to her and and was really enraged at her because she'd gone to see this guy and yet she'd never gone to see them, you know? Mm. Um, and, and it was in that moment where she'd, she'd kind of realised what a mistake she'd made. Because this, this was the first time she'd ever done this. It was the first time she'd been sent to a, a death row inmate. And, uh, and they put that in the film, you know? This, this, this moment between her and this, this guy, and you so relate to him. You know, you, you, can, you, can, you could make a film like this where you, you do create such sympathy for this guy who's on death row that you, f you actually forget about what he's done and how that's affected the lives of the others. But Robbins doesn't avoid that. He doesn't shy away from that. We get to see all sides and the destruction that's been caused in his people's lives and how it affects them. And it's, it's just... I just think it's a, it's a brilliantly drawn-out film on every level. The, the script is flawless. The direction is brilliant. Uh, it's got beautiful cinematography from Roger Deakins, who's my favourite cinematographer. Um, I cannot fault this film. A great soundtrack by Bruce Springsteen, you know. I love it, I love it, I love it. Five stars all the way. One of my favourite films of all time, and it moves me every time I see it, so. Okay. There we have it. I've not seen that one. I'm going to have to rectify it at some point. Sean Penn's performance is brilliant. I, I didn't. I, I, I did. I did all that spiel <laughs> just then. And given this is a top five Sean Penn, I do just want to say, yo, he should have won an Oscar for it. I thought it was brilliant performance. Absolutely brilliant. Really gripping. Just sucks you into his character every step of the way. So. Okay. So we're going to move on to next episode. Uh, what was your number one? Did you give your number one? Casual oh, you, oh, yes, you went first, didn't you? Of course. Okay. okay. So, we're going to move on. So, here we go. I will give five short synopses for movies, and Brian will whittle them away until we are left with one, which will be next month's movies. Now, these uh, synopses are all 100% me this time. I've come up with them. Which means, you know, I'm quite familiar with all the movies. Mm -hmm. As terrifying as that may be. Okay. Number one. 
A group of citizens living in squalor are determined to get to the people in charge and to make a change where it counts. Number two, high school is a minefield to navigate. Peer pressure fuels most decisions. Sometimes survival isn't enough. Sometimes you have to fight back. <laughs> Number three, a man is hell-bent on finding an answer to a question that haunts him. As he digs deeper, he starts to question his own sanity. You alright there, Brian? Yeah, I, I think I know what you've done, and uh, I'm hoping it's going to pay off, because I already know what I'm going to pick. <laughs> Are you? Are you? Or have I done a gangster you squad? Might have done, you might have done a gangster squad, but uh, I'm hoping you Go on. Sometimes helping a friend on a quick errand can be easy. Sometimes it leads down a rabbit hole of mysticism, sorcery and a whole lot of adventure. Number five. A farmer discovers a baby amongst the weeds and is sent on a journey to deliver the baby to its destiny with a ragtag group of reluctant heroes. Is there any there that interests you? Number two definitely interests me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Good grief. It's just because of the last episode when I put Heathers into the mix and we kind of got past it and we were like, oh, man, we kind of both really wanted to do Heathers. I got a slight feeling that maybe you've thrown that in there again, just on the mm. off chance, but okay, I don't know. Um, that could just be wishful thinking on my part. Mm. I don't know. Oh. What, what was the fantasy one again? Which number was that? The, the read four and five? Um, sometimes helping a friend on a quick errand can be easy. Sometimes it leads down a rabbit hole of mysticism, sorcery, and a whole... Yeah, that, that one. Get rid of that one. Get rid of that one. You have got rid of a big trouble in a little chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Did you want to hear five again? Yeah, go on. A farmer discovers a baby in amongst the reeds and is sent on a journey to deliver the baby to its destiny with a ragtag group of reluctant heroes. See, that sounds like some kind of fantasy adventure thing as well. That sounds like Willow. <laughs> Get rid of that one. You have got rid of Willow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, g- g- give me one and three. What are one and three? A group of citizens living in squalor are determined to get to the people in charge and to make a change where it counts. Uh, number three, a man is hell-bent on finding an answer to a question that haunts him. As he digs deeper, he starts to question his own sanity. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, that sounds a little bit like old boy. Get rid of number one. Again, yet again, I don't know how many times I can reword this thing, but you have gotten rid of Snowpiercer. (laughs) Oh, man. An absolutely terrific movie. I so want to see it, I really do. Right. So, 
caught between a film that could be Heathers and a film that could be Old Boy, but which could also very more, more likely be neither. Um, Let me tell you this. One of your guesses is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If that makes things easier. Oh, it does not. <clears throat> These are both films that I would like to revisit. Oh man, this sucks. But but let me just reiterate, look, one of your guesses is wrong. <laughs> yes, I know. This is Sophie's choice. I'm gonna get rid of old boy, or what I think might be old boy. It is not old boy. Yes. You have yet again gotten rid of twelve monkeys. Oh. <laughs> Read that synopsis again. Oh the uh, man is oh. helped. A man is hell-bent on finding an answer to a question that yeah. haunts him. Mm. As he digs deeper, yeah. he starts to question his own sanity. Dagnam it. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. I thought I'd done the, the synopsis rather well. You did. One. You did. Was, that was good, yeah. Uh, just, I, I was thinking old boy because he doesn't know who put him in the room. And they, when he does find out the answer, it's like... Mind blown. So... So you have chosen... 1997's Jawbreaker, um, a movie about three girls who have to pick on the bully of their high school. You kidding? Yes, I am. It's Heather. Yay! <laughs> 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 oh, but the disappointment was real, Brian. Oh, man, it was so real. Okay, I'm good with this. I've been dying to watch Heather's again recently. Man, Heather's is um, a movie that I watched, taking a conservative guess, mm. I will say 40 times in my life. Yeah, I, I reckon I'd probably come pretty close to that. Around the mid to late 90s, there was, mm. a, there was a handful of films, about 10 to 15 films maybe, so yeah, three handfuls of films, um, that I just I just go between. Like Highlander, the first two Batman, well, the first three Batmans, Heathers, uh, Scream 1, 2, Screen, screen one and two. Uh, so yeah, so like, there was just a bunch of films, and they were kind of my collection. And Heather's was one of them. And I just, I did. I just, I must have watched it so many times. I used to quote it no end. I loved the JD character, but yeah, can't wait to get into it again. So, and and it, this has just came to me because I forgot to do top fives. But I think I've got a, a great top five. Okay, you ready? Films based in or around high school. Okay, I'll go with that. That should give us lots of options. It should give us an abundance of options. Mm. Uh, right, okay. Could be interesting. Yep. So there we have it. We'll see you next episode where we're going to discuss Heathers. And of course, one more time, if you would please pop over to iTunes, get us a, a little review. We've got a couple there already, um, which are... are I'm really grateful we've received them. Um, it really helps people find the podcast and you know gives us a little boost as well, knowing that other people are still discovering uh, our ramblings about movies. And we'll see you next episode on Brits on Flux. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homies might be lying in chalk. 
I really hate the trip, but I gotta low. As they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke. Fool, I'm the kind of cheater, little homies wanna be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street light. situation they got me facing i can't live a normal life i was raised by the shit so i gotta be damn with the hood team too much television watching got me chasing dreams i'm an educated fool with money on my mind got my tin in my hand and the gleam in my eye i'm a low out gangster set tripping banker and my homies is down so don't arouse my anger fool death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away i'm living life do a die what can i say i'm 23 now but will i live to see 24 the way things is going i don't know That's why I know my life is out of luck, fool. 